it's about to get real. Our Deacon Director Ryan Durant speaking on order in the house. Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, thank you, Pastor, for that. <laughs> always humble and always um, appreciative of that, of what you say, what you speak of me. I appreciate you. Much love. Again, so good evening, Pastor. Good evening, elders, my fellow Deacon Wood, Shekinah, friends, family, Brew in the other room. I see you there. It is definitely a privilege to be uh, standing before you guys one more time to uh, present the Word of God tonight. So when I was studying and preparing for this sermon, and as Pastor says, this was prepared months in advance, so this is not me piggybacking off of anything. One word that was resonating to me for the last month or so was order. Now, I'm not sure if it was because I've re-enlisted back in the regiment or, um, you know, at my job, a lot of the things that if it has to go well, it has to be presented well in, in a good order to my management and to the senior management above me. Or because, like I said, Pastor Seaman has been touching on it and dancing all over it this morning. Or maybe because a lot of people in for this year, 2021, just saying put back in order everything that got broken and swept away in 2020. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure which one of those things, probably it's a combination of all of them, but that word order has been in my spirit for the last month or so. So setting things back in order, not in your order, but in God's order, because, you know, that's divine. It's perfect in his, in his order. Webster defines order as the arrangement or disposition of people or things in relation to each other, according to a particular sequence, pattern, or method. Now, we've all seen the signs that say out of order, and it's a very frustrating thing to see. Am I right? I mean, I remember back in a previous life when I was in the gym, and yeah, I see people laughing. Cool. But in a previous life when I was in the gym, it was leg day. And I went to a meeting after I leaving the gym, and wouldn't you know, the elevator had an out of order sign on it. I'm saying, you know, serious, this thing was working yesterday. And I'm sure Sister Destiny, she's hero, she's not sure, she will confirm. Leg day followed by a hike is not, is not what we're trying to do. And the thing about these out-of-order signs, it only, it only is frustrating because we're about to use that thing that looks like it's in working order. Ah, but I digress. That was painful. I felt like I was climbing Gibbs Hill Lighthouse. But another out-of-order sign We've all seen the olive water sign on a vending machine. Now, those of you who have seen my podcast or heard some of my story from my first year in school, I found it to be uh, more of a priority to be on the phone day and night, 24-7, racking up a bill that, let's just say, depleted my summer savings. Being a proud 18-year-old on his own for the first time, I was like, I ain't asking my man daddy for no, for no money. They're already paying my school fees. But... The vending machine became my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Skittles, M&Ms, and water. All the nutritional facts in there. But when I saw that out of order sign on the vending machine, I was like, I had some words for that machine. And let me tell you, it was not from the Lord. I, it's thank God for grace, though, yeah? Lastly, I was recently blessed with a new keyboard from Swim. And if I haven't said it publicly, thank you very much, Pastor and the Swim family. Simply put, that keyboard is a rocket ship. Now, did I read the instruction manual that came with it? I'm a guy, absolutely not. But what actually did happen was I spent hours upon hours 
on YouTube, the school of YouTube, as I call it, trying to figure out ways to navigate through this keyboard when the instructions were written right there for me in plain English. Now, here I was at Chicana, almost breaching the midnight curfew at the time, all because I didn't want to follow the order that was given to me. But isn't that just how we live our lives sometimes? And yes, I'm talking to the church on a hill right here. We do our own thing that goes outside the divine order that God has for us, outside of the order and the instructions that are written in the Bible. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the, uh, the acronym for Bible, B-R-B-I-L-E, Biblical Instructions Before Leaving Earth. So when we deviate away from it, we act surprised when things didn't turn out the way that we had actually hoped. Yes, we create our own storms and then get upset when it rains. It's time we simply do better as believers. We have the manual, the Bible. We proclaim to be Christians, which means Christ-like. So, Shekinah family, the topic I've chosen is from a probably familiar text to some of you. The title is Order in the House. Let's journey with me and figure out how we can get back into, into God's order in, in God's house as we deal with the following three points. Point number one, the request. Point number two, the realization. Point three, the revelation. Let's go. Point one, the request. The text I have chosen, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The initial appeal or request in this text is one that we are unfortunately still fighting with and failing at today. Not to be torn apart, but to be united. Now, I'm not going to ask what your preferred political stance is, but I'm sure we have all heard the phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. Easier said than done, and we all know that's to be a fact. So if we're going to be honest, we could definitely take a little glimpse around this virtual room and, and no one would be able to say, I have been uh, perfectly united with my friends, my family, who seem to have uh, a doctorate in driving me up a smooth wall. Not my daddy, of course. Um, those that you work with, your boss. You know, we've all had times where God had to check our attitudes at the door and say, hey, hey, hey cool out. We've all seen movies or been in court cases and heard the judge say, order in the court. And also those of us who have been in the Royal Bermuda Regiment know that there are standing orders that all soldiers must adhere to during their time in service, whether you're wearing your green uniform or not. This text starts out with an urgent plea. And there's a difference between asking versus pleading with someone for something. So imagine you're pleading with someone you often see, you're pleading for your life or you're pleading for the life of a loved one, or you're pleading with God that if he gets you past this hangover, you'll never drink again as long as you live. And then what happens the following weekend? Your head's in the same toilet bowl you was in the previous weekend. The toilet bowl was not designed for your head, but moving on. Here we have Paul making a plea to the church of Corinthians. Now, had Paul just walked up and said, oh, nonchalantly, as I probably do sometimes, hey, um, you guys should come together and make this work. No one would have listened to that. But Paul put on his big boy pants and used his God-given authority, not the authority that he thought he had, but his God-given authority as an apostle to command the Corinthian church to be unified as believers. You know what always used to get me when I was younger and probably even still today? 
when a person asks me rhetorical questions, because I'm like, that means they got me, checkmate, I can't, I can't win. So that's what Paul's doing, he's exposing their foolishness. In verse 13, Paul asks, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? That's savage Paul. That's savage big cat, if you will. <laughs> because the church knew what Paul was actually asking, and he, they actually knew the answer to these questions. But church, sadly, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes, divisions in church have been around since the beginning. Martin Lucifer was able to convince a third of the angels to rebel against God in heaven. And there you have it. So again, I ask you, what do you mean, right? You mean factions and cliques and churches being around before 2021? Yeah, I'm saying many churches inside of other churches have been happening since the day before forever. The ancient Greek word for division, and pardon me, Greek scholars, I did not take it in school, is schismate, uh, meaning to tear or to ram. Now, most of you who know me by now, know that my glasses are merely a fashion statement at this point. Mix in that with an artist's brain. When I saw that word schismate, I saw the word scheme. So division scheme, I kind of I parallel the two together. As Christians intending to live on the God's divine order, we have to understand that Satan, our enemy, has a highly skilled, trained, and organized legion conspiring and fighting against you, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy whomever he can at whatever cost. In the Bible, you can read from Genesis to Revelation, but nowhere will you find an imp fighting against another imp or an imp fighting against Satan. So, well, now I'm going to do it my own way. And isn't that incredible? That, to me, is some serious order right there. He doesn't have to worry about somebody just disobeying him. But, it's a big but there. In church, you do hear of ministers fighting against other ministers, deacons fighting against pastors, musicians fighting against pastors, or congregants fighting against ushers, and the list can go on. Remember, our main focus as Christians should be the Great Commission found in Matthew 4.19, which says, follow me. You should all know this by now. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why would the lost want to come to, into a church when the church looks exactly like the very thing that they're supposed to be getting ready to leave? Yes, church is time to get the house in order. The time to play church in the sanctuary on a Sunday while playing the great divider outside the sanctuary. Sort it out. God is not pleased with that. Remember this, if you don't remember anything else, a part-time Christian is never going to defeat a full-time devil. Listen, I'll be transparent. I didn't agree with everything my parents told me when I was young. But as a child, I was always a thinker. Being an only child, and yes, Junior and Julie got it right the first time, so no need for any actress. <laughs> but no other kids in the neighborhood, and me not liking to go outside very much, I had a lot of time to think to myself, to ponder whatever punishment or whatever was going on. But I don't ever remember a time where the rules that were in place and enforced in the house weren't for my own benefit. Now, I do have to admit, I did not like the early bedtime thing. Only because some of my younger friends had later bedtimes than me until I realized, oh, I like a good sleep. But that's just how it was. In my house, I had a say. I had a platform to speak my thoughts. But when the ruling party, not the PLP, the OBA, the UBP, the NLP, or whatever, not the Democrats or the Republicans or the Trumpians, whatever mom and daddy said, that's what it was. That, and that was what it's going to be. So where did we get off being contrary in the house of God simply to get our own way? Time to do better, folks. 
Which brings me to point number two, the realization. You cannot change a person who doesn't see an issue with their actions. They haven't come to the realization that they need to change. I mean, whatever they've been doing all this time seems to have worked for them, so that just becomes their new normal. And we've heard that new normal term quite a lot in the last year. In psychology, they call this the aha moment. The Corinthian church hadn't had their aha moment, or as we as Christians would say, their Holy Ghost encounter. In verse 14, Paul says that he thanks God that he did not baptize any of you except for a select few. So it appears that Paul was disgusted with the partisan divide in the Senate, I mean the church. See, Paul knew his lane. And I always say, if you're in your own lane, there's no traffic. Paul knew what he was being sent for. He was there to preach, not particularly to baptize. See, sometimes we have good ideas and good intentions, but it's got to be in God's timing and a part of God's overall plan. A planned breath at the wrong time usually doesn't go over well. It will probably yield short-term rewards, but what the long-term people, yeah? We can all at least attest to that. It's not about your order. It's about doing things in God's order. It sounds like a simple concept, but you wouldn't put the cart before the horse. You've all heard that. Now, I'm going to diverge a bit. So as a music teacher, my students' first lessons, I'm not going to teach them Moonlight Sonata or anything, you know, fancy and crazy. They look at me like, this guy here is crazy. But mama, I don't want to go back to lessons anymore. So why would I want to have that? Also, and my, my dad also knows this story very well. As a beginning piano player, my mama somehow convinced my daddy to buy a $2,000 plus keyboard for me, a guy who had never played before, seriously, or even talked about it. So today I'm fighting out in New Jersey trying to bring this keyboard back. And I'm sitting there, none the wise, like, oh, I don't really care. When he could have just bought a $200 keyboard at Music Box or somewhere like that. And he's like, my dad is the order guy in the house. My mom was the artist, artistry one. It's like, yeah, man, but still. I don't know how it worked, but I guess that worked out. But I digress. Putting the cart before the horse is just not in the right order. Period. So why do we get this in our everyday lives? But when it comes to the church, we have a problem. You say things like, oh, the pastor's holding me back, or they just don't get me, or I've outgrown this ministry. Anyways, let me get back to the Corinthian church. Let me, let me get back to the text here. The church in Corinthians were putting who was doing the baptism above the baptism itself. The power of the baptism is in the spiritual reality that it represents, not in who does it. And this is what Paul was trying to make the church realize. Those baptized by him had no advantage over someone who was being baptized by another. He didn't want to be looked at as an idol to these people. Now, we've all heard the saying, going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than being in the garage makes you a car. Truth is, church, we were all sinners, saved by God's grace. Now, I don't know what God saved you from, but I know what he saved me from. So what if your story isn't like my story? So what if you look different than me? So what if you're from a different part of the island than me? And 21 miles, come on, let's, that's, that's not, that's not what's important. Were you saved by the same God as me? Are you serving the same God as me? Let's have it. Ephesians 4.16 in the Amplified Version reads, From him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies, when each part is working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. 
can you imagine the legs fighting with the arms talking about, you know, I want to do that. Or the eyes fighting with the elbows saying, well, I don't like you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess you up. That's all foolish, isn't it? Church, it's time to drop your petty issues and look at the real issues. We have friends and family members going to hell in a handbasket while we bicker and complain about the small things. We are no different than the Corinthian church in that aspect. If you put as much effort into carrying out God's mandate in our lives and in our church as we do in gossiping, spreading lies and untruths and the likes, Bermuda and the church could be in a much different place. Takes me to point three, the revelation, wind and done. One of the first things I remember Pastor Seaman teaching me, or teaching the pitch class when I, when I first started my, my pitch training, I'm still coming to terms with that, was preach the word. There's no need to overcomplicate it. And that's exactly how Paul preached. Verse 17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Even in Paul's position, he knew that this power was God-given, not something of himself. None of us would be here without the cross of Calvary. Not to throw shame on anybody, but we have, I always often, often talk to my dad about this, we have, and I'm a Christian of the PLP, please don't get me wrong, but we have lawyers and doctors and accountants and actuaries in high positions, but we still haven't got it right. So, you know, I'll let you fill in the blanks there. Andre Crouch wrote one of the most popular gospel songs of all time called The Tribute, probably more widely known as To God Be the Glory. And there's a part in that song that says, and if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. I'll leave the singers to do that. I'll play it for you. And that was the message from Paul. It was because of the cross. It's all about the cross. I used to curse, but the cross. I used to smoke and drink, but the cross. It represents the love God has for me, and we can't escape that. When churches move away from this doctrine and try to alter their beliefs to fill in the seats, or when they make big business more of a priority than church business and soul business, we study the power of God's word and eventually begin to look less and less like the church. How many of us want to be like the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church? In this four years since COVID made its way to Bermuda, many things have been stripped away. But one thing that cannot be stripped on is the power of God. Verse 18 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. What I found significant here is the verb tensing, who are perishing and who are being saved. They both describe something that is currently happening. They both describe a work in progress. We are definitely a work in progress, but we anything at the axis is which direction are we moving in? Are we moving in the direction where God's order is first and foremost in our lives or where we have put ourselves at the little G's, the little gods? God loves order. He doesn't dwell in disorder or confusion. And as Christians, don't we want to be where God is? You know, Tasha Cobb's song, we're all singing, I want to be where you are. Uh, <clears throat> I've got a little scratchy deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that can't just be a song that we sing every now and then. It's got to be a lifestyle. My favorite scripture and my last scripture is Psalms 133, verse 1 to 3. In the NIV version, I'll read how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head 
running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling out of Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even forevermore. That's serious. That's a pretty serious vision. Don't you want to be where that is, church? I know I do. See you